Well, I was at this party the other day with Dame Helen Mirren, and we were talking about how to do a great Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Whatever you say, just keep talking, walking. Well, the people make the same mistake. It's always these guttural sounds they make with their voice instead of actually trying to understand how Arnold talks. You, you mean like this? Get to the chopper! Do it now! That was garbage. You need to listen to his gubernatorial addresses in order to get how to do the Arnold impression right. We need more money and water up in this California. Well, Mr. Walken, I never knew you had such range. Why don't you go fuck yourself, Peter? In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media... Mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good? Or bad. Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows. Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all. So you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now, welcome your hosts. Hi, I'm Pete. And I'm Mike. Thanks, Thanks, disembodied voice guy. You know, you're sounding a little tired, disembodied voice guy. Maybe it's time for a vacation. Yeah, how long do you think uh, you'd want to take so you can feel better again? Two weeks. Okay, I think that's a really good amount of time. Uh, You'll feel nice and refreshed afterwards. So uh, where are you thinking about going? Two weeks. Okay, that doesn't really answer uh, my question, but... uh, Two weeks! Two weeks! Uh, Well, have a great trip, all right? We'll see you when you get back. Two weeks! Okay, cut it, cut it! Well, if you haven't figured it out already, you're listening to the Sacred Cows Podcast, a podcast where we talk about movies. What kind of movies, you might ask? Well, Peter, tell them. Your favorite movies from yesteryear, or the ones that you previously thought were good until you watched them again as an adult. And that is what we're here to figure out. Taking those movies from your past that you might have a soft spot for. That's right, we're blowing your nostalgia wide open. Yes, trying to figure that out. Are they good? Are they bad? Whatever. So today we're going to be talking about the Paul Verhoeven film, Total Recall. Total Recall, that is the 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger version of Total Recall. But before we do that, we want to remind you to go watch the movie if you haven't done so yet. Just pause the podcast and go watch. That's right. Fire up Netflix, give it a watch, and we'll wait right here. We're all still getting to know each other. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about ourselves. Okay, well, I'm Pete. I'm a tech writer. I'm a geek. I'm a prolific movie watcher. And... I have a strong sense of nostalgia for the movies I used to enjoy and love as a child, so revisiting these has been a lot of fun for me. 
And I'm Mike. I'm an IT guy. I also have a strong love of movies, um, anime, whatever, pop culture in general. This is who we are, and I think a lot of you who are listening are probably just like us. So why don't we just get right into the movie? Okay, so let's talk Total Recall. This is, of course, a film by Paul Verhoeven, who may not be a household name anymore, if he ever really was, but he has a few notable other movies that you've heard of, such as Robocop, Starship Troopers, uh, uh, perhaps most infamously Showgirls, which I have seen and remember nothing about. It just, I was, I was hopping on the bad movie. I've never seen that. And it, I don't know. It was one of those movies advertised to be so bad that you just had to see it. And yeah. So, yeah. No, no. I, I stayed away from that with a 10-foot pole. Well, I, I, I don't remember anything about it, so I came out unscathed. But, uh, yes, Paul Verhoeven, Dutch uh, Dutch director known for his uh, violent, campy, action-packed, uh, goofy sci-fi movies, essentially. We can definitely say that Total Recall falls in the campy aspect of his work it does you know it, it's got kind of a humorous undertone throughout the whole movie and yet uh it may not have appealed to an audience that would like that sort of thing because of the ultra violence and the very strong language in it so i think it's probably marketed towards what an 18 to 25 age range yeah yeah i think that's probably about right uh, probably which is a, a demographic that i feel i have less and less in common with with each passing year so <sighs> Too old for this shit. That's just me. I, I, yeah, I'm an old guy. So, uh, But this film, it's interesting. They actually toned it down a little bit. Uh, the writer of the film, Dan O'Bannon, intended this for just to be a dark comedy, just kind of like a fun and yet kind of a cynical romp uh, through you know, space-time or whatever. But then Verhoeven got attached to the project, and it ended up almost getting an X rating due to the crazy violence that he brought to the, the project. And this was kind of a bone to pick between the two of them. Yeah, when I was doing research for this episode, I, I, I understood that uh, Verhoeven wanted to go, uh, you know, ultra violent and stuff. And uh, the studio was looking for more like, hey, it's Indiana Jones in space. Mm hmm. Right. Which. When you think Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, of course, he's been in plenty of violent films, but he's got the one-liners. He's kind of a quippy Yeah, yeah. You person. know, he's not quippy in the Harrison Ford way, so Indiana Jones in space is kind of a wrong way to describe this. Plus, Arnold is, of course, jacked as all hell in this movie. It's, oh, God. It's yeah, just this like, is, wow. This is uh, definitely during the pumping iron days. Mm-hmm. Well, besides Arnold, uh, you also have a cast of fairly well-known 80s personalities that you're going to see... In a lot of 80s action movies, you've got uh, Michael Ironside, which is, you know, Starship Troopers and, and other movies. It's normally a bad guy, the deep voice and stuff like that. But, you know, really young because this is way long time ago. Um, you've also got Ronnie Cox, who's also known for playing a bad guy. Um, uh, people that watch the television so Dallas, I believe, would would know him yeah he uh, was also the antagonistic vice president on stargate sg1 oh that's right I yes he was mm -hmm. so definitely had some genre leanings and then of course you know sharon stone which was just uh ubiquitous in the 80s and 90s you know here there and everywhere in also in mr van hoven's other popular movie basic instinct which came right after this he was so impressed with her in this film that he cast her in that yeah, so... So uh, definitely a, a cast that you would be familiar with if you were a regular moviegoer 25 years ago. Some other things that were, were interesting is that this this is one of those movies that uh, ended up being uh, shopped around quite a bit before it ended up getting made. 
and uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger was directly involved in getting the movie made. That's true, but he was not necessarily the type of actor they were looking for for the lead of this film. They were looking for more of a... Actually, they offered the movie to Jeff Bridges and Matthew Broderick, uh, the, the likes of them, Richard Dreyfus. I heard they also offered it to Christopher Reeve, but, you know, eventually went to Arnold. Right. Once they uh, had kind of the people that were going to be making this movie, they all headed down to Mexico City, which I guess is the best of both futuristic Earth and Martian landscapes. Which is really weird, because I swore that most of this was done on a soundstage, but um, I guess some of it was outside. No, really, a lot of the scenes, uh, the the fight scenes on Earth, future Earth, took place in public places in Mexico. That part where you saw, like, the Fujifilm lights and stuff like that, that was, like, Times Square of Mexico City. And they were in the real subway and stuff like that. And then for the Martian stuff, they just ran it all through a red filter. Another thing that's interesting about this movie is all the obstacles that they faced in making it. You want to talk about that, Pete? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the hazards of shooting on this location included the entire crew, except for Arnold Schwarzenegger and a couple other, uh, getting really bad food sickness, uh, food poisoning, as it were. Uh, they they uh, needed medical treatment between takes, actually. So that was pretty bad. And also, I understand the air quality in Mexico City was pretty dismal at this time, so that caused some problems. The final interesting fact that we're going to give you about this movie is that this is one of the last movies to completely use no CGI. So there was no computer imaging at all. Some really? of the things that even you, the skeleton, even the skeleton, oh, no that kidding. was all you know drawn in. Okay. So uh, old fashioned style. Uh, but it ended up being one of the second most expensive movies made that year. Interestingly enough, the next year, of course, Arnold would star in the most expensive movie of the year. Terminator 2, which uses CGI extensively. Mm, yes, that's right. So, Pete, what history do you have with this movie? Okay, so I do remember watching this movie as a child. Like many movies that were too old for me at the time, I would have been eight when this came out, and movies that my parents wouldn't have owned, I saw a television edit of it on daytime TV. So, really? Yeah, can you believe that? Uh. This movie that once received an X rating uh, definitely got cleaned up for television. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? I did not get the same experience then as I did in subsequent viewings. You know, I think... Uh, Maybe four years ago, I finally saw it on Netflix uh, in its full format, and I was like, holy violence. But uh, I remember being rather shocked as a kid uh, about the, the wanton violence against innocent bystanders that was being perpetrated to the point where I asked my dad, why are these guys so bad? And he's like, some people just don't care about who they hurt if they, you know, whatever. So it was, I, you know, I got that lecture and it's like the world is a little bit of a shadier place today for me. Well, I didn't end up seeing this movie until I was a teenager. Um, it's because I think my parents didn't really like the movie. It's not because of the gore or whatever. In fact, uh, I don't know, I probably watched a lot of movies that I shouldn't have watched at the ages that I watched them because my parents would decide, oh, well... You know, he, he can watch it, but he has to look away during that time. So, yeah, right. you know, like, oh, there's too much gore. He that's can turn that's his parental head. guidance for you. Yeah, right yeah. But, mm -hmm. you know, you can he can still hear it, obviously. It's like, <laughs> oh, the and then, of course, like, uh, you know, fast forward through the hanky panky scenes or boob scenes. But, um, they, you know, this I watched it when I was a teenager, so they weren't, you know, there to do that. Uh, instead, you know, the, the Arnold movies I watched a lot as a kid weirdly was like, uh, you know, the original Terminator and not Kindergarten Cop, per se. Well, obviously, more, you know, yeah, those okay, kind of yeah. movies and but stuff, Terminator. too. But I didn't see this till I was a teenager, and uh, 
you know, I, at the time I thought, oh, it's certainly another Arnold movie, and I think I liked it a lot um, at the time, but, uh, you know, I haven't watched it since. It wasn't one of those movies that I went and grabbed the DVD of when that came out or, or anything, you know, it was just kind of uh, when I forgot, and if I saw it on on. TV, you know, I might watch it for a while, but I'm not gonna, I wasn't normally gonna sit down and, and, and just kind of like finish it. It's just like, oh, this is on in the background. Well, this wasn't one of the more high profile films of Arnold's career, I would say. No, I but mean, it was it, definitely a big hit. It was indeed. Uh, and he was starring in hits left and right, of course, in this time period. So, yeah, you know. I mean, they, they could have put out, you know, Arnold takes a shit and it would probably be. <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> Sorry. Oh, anyway. So, uh, how was your recent viewing experience, Pete? Well, um, being a little older and wiser now and having a few previous viewings under my belt, uh, including one uh, semi-recently, like I said, maybe four years ago, a uh, uh, little less uh, tinged with far away in the distant past nostalgia than before but uh, i have to say i uh found it to be an enjoyable romp through what was basically still the 80s in 1990 the the future is now and it is the 80s so had a good time with that um what about you mike what did you think uh well uh i was super happy with my viewing experience because i had the brand well not brand new it was it was a couple years old but it was a really cleaned up blu-ray edition oh nice so everything just looked uh you know gorgeous i would highly recommend if you can watch it on blu-ray it's the way to watch it but then again i'm a kind of a snob when it comes to that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but uh, we recently renovated a brand new uh recreation room in our house so i it's always fun had it all to yeah, yeah exactly had it all to myself a little popcorn a little soda you know sit back take some notes and just enjoy the movie you know i thought it was a it was a really good viewing and it was easy to watch there wasn't uh you know any sort of weird quality problems or, or anything like that or just uh, interruptions that kept me from doing things and maybe taint my talk about this on this podcast right so. interruptions can be a real bummer for sure all right so uh is there any sort of baggage that you carry with this movie pete uh, good or bad just that you know, the movie kind of lived up to my preconceived notion from my childhood memory of it being extremely violent, and sometimes the violence is a little over the top. But hey, that's that's just a Verhovenism, I believe. So, you know, it lived up to that. That is my baggage, and it, it sometimes feels a little jarring to see it. Mm. For me, I, I felt like uh, I thought there were more Arnoldisms in this movie than there actually were. Right. It was kind of one-liner light. Yeah, yeah. There weren't a lot of memorable quotes. No, and if you go on the internet and find any old Arnold Schwarzenegger soundboard... You know, the about the only one that you're going to find on there is get your ass to Mars. Right, right, yeah. It's, it's you know, he, there's no, it's not a tumor. Yeah. There's so, no, who's your daddy and what does he do? And, and I almost find that with any Arnold movie, I come in with those preconceived notions, and I have to say, you know, that 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 sort of colored my view until I found that they weren't really there. Yeah. So you expect them, and then they they just kind of dry up. He has a couple good ones, but we'll we'll talk about those. Yeah. Okay. So with that, let's get into the deep discussion about the movie. Now, before we get into the meat of the movie, Pete has a rant. 
Well, you know, it's really more of a diatribe, but uh, here's my thing. It's a little bit about why every movie about the future, especially those made in the 80s, are kind of problematic. Now, I know this is nothing innovative, and I'm sure everybody who's ever seen a future movie has felt this way, but it the problem is... This is a movie about the 80s in the future, essentially. It's not a movie about the future. It's so close to the 80s. 1990 was still the 80s, honestly. And you look at everybody and everything in the movie and say, That's so 80s! It's not the near future. This is a fairly far-in-the-future movie, I'd have to say. I mean, they've got memory extraction and implantations, holograms, uh travel into the deep solar system. I mean, there's proof of aliens, that kind of thing. And yet, you know, everybody on the train has got big 80s hair. They're watching advertisements on old-timey tube TVs. I yeah, mean, I was going to say, CRTs really... I know, they, they, they just didn't anticipate it, you know? Like, uh, what, the, the receptionist is changing her nail color with a stylus that's on a cord and that kind of thing. I mean, you would just be like, okay, Google, change to blue or whatever, you know? I mean... There's sort of weird anachronisms, I think that's the word for it because they at one point they have the led mm -hmm. lcd tv wall basically. they're watching a tv on the wall which yeah. is like oh this is like, you know this is now mm -hmm. uh-huh but uh but you're right i i thought some of those weird things about um you know the crts and stuff still existing are just odd yeah oh and clearly pepsi is still doing their throwbacks because all of the pepsi cans are the 1980s versions of the branding well you know and and, and to be fair um Unless you're doing a movie by a futurist, I think that most movies about the future suffer from this. Um, you obviously have your Star Wars, um, which is not in the future. It's everybody's a, got helmet hair. Yeah, yeah right. everybody's mm -hmm. helmet hair. Uh, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which tries to, you know, put itself in what they think is 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, it's everything but the hair. Right, um, right. Uh, you know, there's still tubes and stuff there, but they didn't even conceive of uh, LCD, but yet they thought of, you know, hyperspace travel and, and, and different things like that. So I think, to be fair... Everybody everybody just thinks the future is going to be, like, today more, you know? I think people thought that the 80s, in the 80s, was a really progressive time, and so they were like, so if the future continues to get more and more progressive, it's just going to be, like, the 80s only more, which is why you see it, a lot of the, the more in this movie. Hmm. Kind of what it is. Uh, you obviously can't make a movie that where you're like, okay, everything about the future is different than today. You're just going to alienate, you know, if everything is completely unfamiliar to the audience, you're going to alienate everybody. You can't make a good movie that way. I get it, but... Well, I mean, your Bill and Ted's of, of the world are like that. Uh, you know, when they're going to the far future and everybody's dressed weird, then they, it's just like, oh God, how, how did that ever get there? And yet it was not a significant part of the movie. It was like a five-minute scene, so they got away with it. But right. If the whole movie had been set there, people would have said, what? Okay, well, uh, it, it's a good rant. It's a good thing to think about just to put things in perspective as we're talking about them, I think. Uh, anything else before we move on? No, I mean, let's talk about the film. All right. We like to usually just summarize the plot in a very, very fast way so that we just get it out of the way. Mm -hmm. um, so let's do that first. All right. So the plot of the movie is that we're following Douglas Quaid. He's the main character, played by Schwarzenegger, who um, is just an everyday Joe, has a regular job doing construction work. Being the buffest construction worker on Earth, apparently. Right? Yeah, and, and, and so he just is tired of his, his life. He goes to this place um, called 
recall, recall right. which gives you like vacations without actually going because they implant these memories in your memory. Right. The technology is memory implantation, not not any sort of travel or virtual reality. Right. And then after that point, uh, he gets these memories are going to be implanted, but he never actually goes through the procedure. The memories that he had of his previous life start flooding back to him. Right. His uh, He's actually a former spy whose memory has been wiped and he was placed on earth as just a joe nobody yeah so in short we follow him throughout the movie he starts remembering more and more he kicks a lot of ass he ends up on mars after his wife betrays him and he is trying to evade the authorities that's right he's left himself a bunch of clues his old self has left his new self a bunch of clues so that he can hook up with all of his old buddies who are actually like a rebel yep. group on mars yep. fighting against the big corporation basically yeah the the evil empire if you will and, and so um you know you find out why they're evil quaid starts remembering more he finds out he was actually a spy that was working for the big corporation sent to infiltrate the resistance that's right he was behind behind his own mind erasure essentially so he's his own bad guy that's right that's right but now his new personality with the wiped brain decides he really is going to fight for the rebels and he's going to stop this whole conspiracy so he continues to be the good guy that he thought that we thought he was uh in spite of his former self and uh that that's that's just it he wages war on the big bad guy and then saves mars that's basically right. they find out there's air in the bottom of mars and they bring it out that's right uh the the air the air dealer who's fabulously wealthy is out of business because now there's free air everywhere so that's the short plot summary version and i think that's that's a fair assessment of the movie but really the point of this movie is to show arnold schwarzenegger kicking ass and uh basically yeah and, and floats some future ideas i mean uh you know you got to give the plot twist a little bit of credit to the fact that the bad guy ends up being arnold himself the plot twist is good i, I was actually surprised by how well executed it was because i spent some time thinking about this at first you're like why the hell is this guy still alive why didn't they just kill him if he's got you know basically the the premise is he's got secrets that could bring cohagen who's the the big bad guy down and why the hell didn't he just kill him instead of changing his memory and yeah. putting him on Earth? And Cohagen keeps saying, you know, you can't kill him, you can't kill him, you can't kill him, mm -hmm. to uh, Michael Ironside's character. Uh, uh, Richter, I believe. Richter, the, the, yeah. The big, and, big bad guy. And, and Richter... Big bad just guy doesn't listen. Two. He's like, I, I thought for my, yeah, I don't pay you to think. You know the whole right, the the the, the iconic bad guy thing. Like, I don't pay you to think. I just pay you it. to do my what I say. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, but that but this plot seriously, it uh, it explains. You know, Hauser is his name, his previous spy self name, and this is where I got confused a lot. So you got to keep him straight. Hauser is the spy who's Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's a bad guy. He gets his memory wiped, and he becomes Quaid who is the good guy. So Hauser's plan was that Quaid, not remembering Hauser at all, would infiltrate the rebels, earn their trust, and then lead them to Quato, who is the basic bad guy. The, the, uh, rebel, well, good guy. He's the say, good guy. The rebel leader. Right. And, um, and, and he can do like a mind meld type thing. So in order to get around that, you know, Quaid really can't remember that he's working for the bad guys. That's why they did the memory wipe. And that's the twist. I mean, that's very memorable. Mm -hmm. I th and it's well done. You know, it, it, it kind of 
ties up all the loose ends, essentially. I think one of the things about this movie that I was most surprised about was the level of Arnold Schwarzenegger's acting. You know, when people think about Arnold Schwarzenegger, they don't think about him as, like, a great performer. No, they think of him as some sort of a babbling brute who, you know, can't talk. Right. Essentially, he can't talk. He doesn't need to do anything except kill, kill, shoot, shoot, punch, punch, lift. Mm -hmm. And I, I liked him as Douglas Quaid, especially in the very beginning of the movie, He's just, you know, this guy who's just, you know, middle class, just trying to get by. He's not happy with his life. And, you know, uh, he loves his wife, or he thinks he does, because mm-hmm. he doesn't know who he is yet. And there's just this underlying sweetness um, that he sells, you know, he, when he's uh, hanging out with his wife in bed and, you know, they're having a little fun. He really sells the fun. His eyes, when he's looking at her as she's leaving, actually or as he's leaving, actually look like, uh, you know, he has affection for her and things like that. And I was just surprised to see that from Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think of more of him as explodey boom boom. And that comes later in the movie, but... Right, you know, he he really did seem like he had a good emotional range there when he was just playing a character that was a person before he was playing a character that was just, you know, an attachment to a machine gun that, that, you know, kills people. Right, and that's more near the end of the movie. I, I think he did a good job of becoming that. It sells the fact that Quaid had a heart, whereas Hauser obviously doesn't. Mm hmm. Uh, and as he's slowly becoming his secret agent self again, you know, you can see that transformation, of course. Uh, but then he uh, chooses to be the guy who has a heart at the end, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Now, good acting, I will say, as opposed to what you do- you usually think of with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I never forgot that I was watching Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's yeah. impossible to do. He's just too distinctive of, a, of an individual, I right. guess you could say. Some other things... Just the future colors and things like that. I was so surprised that, I mean, like, everything that they're doing, and this might have just been a directorial choice, but, I mean, everything's gray, green, or brown, or red in the color palette. once you're in Mars, yeah. Yeah. Red filters. Um, But yet it's strangely bright, so the colors were dull, but they showed them in a bright format. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, people were dressed, you know, in colorful clothing, you know, as was you know, with the time period of the direction, I suppose. Well, I, I, I guess I mean they they only chose dull colors, but the film wasn't shot with like a filter to make it dark. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. True. So that was an interesting choice. Johnny Cab is super creepy. That's right. Uh, however, I was interested to read afterwards that it is the both physically modeled after and voiced by Robert Picardo of one of my favorite shows, Star Trek Voyager, uh, the holographic doctor. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. There was another person, Mike, you were telling me about that I didn't notice, an actor in the film that I didn't notice until you mentioned him, uh, one of the mutants. The mutant Tony was played by Dean Norris, who is most well-known as Hank from Breaking Bad. Which just does not physically rem- uh, Obviously, he wears a lot of mutant, you know, prosthetic on his face, but physically... Uh, yeah, I mean, he was just young and, and skinny as heck, and, and right. you could tell when you looked at him, but, I um, mean, t- he's, you know... A big imposing guy but the way they shot him and stuff it made tony look physically smaller than you know other people he wasn't as small as the you know little kids and stuff but you know physically smaller than other people a lot smaller than arnold i think i'm gonna have to go back and watch the movie just to like stare at his face on pause or something yeah and then everyone i mean everyone in this movie is so young i mean michael ironside's just young schwarzenegger young and at his prime all that some things i really liked 
that were done well. I think the X-ray fight. Gosh, that was cool. Yeah, the X-ray screen's definitely one of the iconic parts of this movie that you remember when you think Total Recall. It's very neat. Uh, definitely very interesting to, interesting to learn that that's not a CG effect. That, that was all hand-drawn. The lady acting as the costume for Quaid, the uh-huh. two weeks thing, was actually really well done. Kind of like uh, you know a machine freaking out, but mm-hmm. looked natural beforehand. Right, right, right. The uh, it was all just a uh, uh, like mechanized prosthetic head, which of course had a grenade built into it too. You know, he thought of everything when he was gonna sneak into Mars as a eccentric middle aged woman. So very strange. Yeah. What what scenes do you think are memorable? Uh, well, of course, uh, probably the big one liner is where he's using the very bulky laptop toy. Uh, kind of thing that he's got there to be learning about his past up on the roof with all the rats running around that kind of thing and he says get your ass to Mars oh yeah that was another that was another uh over and over yeah yeah because it got stuck there mm-hmm. uh, that was another moment where I thought that Schwarzenegger really sold it because he's like sitting there watching this laptop video and he's like feeding the rats that are just chilling out there mm-hmm. yeah right He's just like Joe Schmo, you know. Yeah, he, he's not roof. just killing the rats. Like, uh, you know, obviously you see that's the contrast between him and the bad guys. You see the bad guys killing the rats after. Yeah, the bad guy's just so bad that... He has to and, shoot the rat. so angry that he sees a rat and he shoots it. And mm-hmm. It's like, oh man, come on. So, uh, uh, of course, can we not mention the chick with the three boobs in the movie? It's when you think Total Recall probably the first thing you think of well i mean we were at the age where we're like oh yeah like, with three boobs interestingly enough that did not make it to the tv edit that i remember seeing surprise probably not too i'm sure most of the blood and all the head you know the headshots there's a love for headshots in this movie well there's just such violence you can't cut out i mean the part where arnold is using an innocent bystander as a human shield when everybody's shooting on at him on the escalator it's oh like, i forgot what? yeah i know it's like geez louise but, but I think, I mean, I, I did rewind that scene. I'm pretty sure the guy was already shot by the time he ended up, he was oh, already yeah, dead no. by the time he was being no, used to be shield. he was dead, but still, I, I, that, was, that was part of the reason why they were considering an X rating, because he's just, you know, holding this poor guy up, and he's being, you know, repeatedly hit by like a hundred bullets. It's like, my God. Well, that isn't so, any worse than Gears of War. Well, perhaps not, but <laughs> a, a movie kind of out of its its time there. Well, just another big iconic part is, of course, at the end, and you've all seen it now, when uh, when Arnold uses the alien device to melt the pure ice core of Mars, which I'd like to talk about a little later, which causes a huge rush of oxygen to come out of the mountain and like just shatter the domes that are built on the surface. So that that's kind of the iconic ending there. The sky turns from red to blue, and, uh, you know, the hero gets the girl, and that's that's... And there's clouds mm, and there's clouds birds and magically appear. Yeah, that's right. It's like, where'd they come from? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, so it, I don't know. It, it, it's heartwarming for sure. The science is probably a little flawed, but it, it's it's a good ending. One thing I really did notice with these special effects is um, in this movie versus other movies like Star Wars and things like that, um, I noticed that I was watching miniatures a mm-hmm. lot. You know, all the models of outside of Mars um, all the models of the city on Earth from faraway shots, you can right. tell that these are like miniature models and or, not... Or matte paintings, you know, yeah. like when you're looking out over the Martian horizon landscape and whatnot. It's like, ah, nice painting. You can almost see the brush strokes. And it's interesting. I think, um, you know, uh, I know Industrial Light and Magic uh, did a lot of the special effects for mm-hmm. this, 
but I feel like they just didn't put as much care and love into it. Yeah, as, that's that's interesting. As they did, or it was on purpose by Verhoeven, because you know he's known for a bit of camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure, but I could tell it's like, oh, diorama, mm-hmm. diorama, diorama, diorama. It's interesting considering the budget was so high. It's like, where did that budget go? Probably towards Arnold Schwarzenegger and his flown-in meals or something like that. Well, and, and, and yeah, it may have been um, that uh, a lot of this was caused by the cleanup of the film, um, you know, that I watched on the Blu-ray. Uh, you know, the inside stuff looked uh, pretty good, but, the, you know, the outside things looked a little too clean up that it was too easy to tell that it was a model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, just a uh sign of the times that it was made in you know the pre-cg era if you look back at any movie before then it it becomes painfully noticeable that the special effects weren't quite up to par with modern standards well and and also um specifically with the puppetry too i could it's easy to tell like quato was a puppet Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like um yoda where the puppet is really well done well it wasn't a hansen puppet Mm -hmm. yeah it's not that you can't do well with those types of special effects it's just that they they, they maybe uh, had budgetary concerns or something in that particular area. Well, the, yeah, to me it felt like, okay, so what we're going to do with anything that looks fake, anything that needs to be, um, I don't know, somebody's eyes exploding or Quato or let's just spray it with lots of oil or water <laughs> and make it shiny Get and glistening. Slimy. Yes, that's right. They, they won't be able to tell then. So one thing I had a bit of a problem with was... Uh, the science that's being uh, presented to us as fact that we are uh, required to believe in order for the movie premise to work. Uh, Let me just explain. Obviously, this is a science fiction movie, and I've always had no problem believing that unbelievable things can happen due to, like, far future technology and that yes. kind of thing because technology is kind of like a blank slate that kind of thing i.e you know any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic true story however there are some things i mean there are some things that this movie asks us to believe that just you know they defy physics or it defies what we know about the nature of the the solar system and the planets there and you know geology basic geology that kind of thing just to start, iconic to this movie is heads exploding. When you exit the the uh, pressurized domes of Mars, everybody's head starts to swell up and, you know, it never is shown on screen, but presumably they then explode, that kind of thing. I, I found that, yeah, it's a little bit unbelievable. I don't think that's how it actually happens. I think it was an excuse to basically take rubberized versions of people's faces and then like blow them up like a balloon. I don't know if that's right. what Verhoeven was going for. Not that that was the best special effect in the movie by any means, but you know, it's, wow, it's wow, it, and it presented wow, some great Arnold Schwarzeneggerisms for sure. But uh, it, it's just it's um, I think it's something that Hollywood has been showing us for so long. You know, there's preferred pressure differentials between your body and you know a vacuum. So you know they would have us believe, and we've seen it so many times that you know your head explodes when you're out of your space suit you know we've just come to accept it it's uh it's okay one thing i noticed was how thick would that glass in those domes have to be in order to keep the pressure in for you know to keep it from exploding outward when the uh when 
I mean, this glass just is this real thin plate glass that shatters easily due to stray bullets or, you know, oncoming tsunamis Right, this should oxygen. be like bulletproof protection glass at the very least, at least that thick. Right, and and we get it. The uh, Kohagen, he really cheaped out on the domes, we're told by several characters many times. But just to keep them structurally intact due to the interior pressure, I would think would would, would need something a lot thicker possibly even like a transparent aluminum or something like that but uh well i mean yeah it, it is pretty unbelievable that um i mean unless there's feats of engineering in the future to do that i mean uh half of that front when uh when quaid and uh, rachel are hanging off in like the scaffolding the entire front of that building portion mm-hmm. is like glass there's mm-hmm. like glass and some structural stuff but right. it's like you know a, a biodome type thing so right i know we we understand we want everybody to have a lot of nice view points for the martian landscape the beautiful martian landscape but it just seems like a bad idea to create it out of all very thin glass and and is it even feasible so that's probably not the worst thing though uh the whole core of the planet Mars is apparently solid ice, according to this movie. Yeah, as a person who likes science, that that was one of the first things that jumped into my head. You know, the rest of it, I'm kind of willing to suspend the disbelief and be like, okay, this is for plot purposes. They need to have people being sucked out everywhere. Right, and th- and that's fine. It, it it adds an interesting flair to the plot. But to ask you to accept something, okay, this movie was made in 1990. This is before there was a Mars rover. You know, we'd just done like a flyover or two at this point. But I'd like to think that the general public would be aware of the fact that mars was not you know an ice ball that it you know had similar geology to the rest of the inner solar system and therefore would not have a pure ice core that could be melted into breathable oxygen essentially you know what i'm saying so that was a tough pill to swallow interesting um yeah, I thought that some scientific things, you know, the mutations don't work like the mutants obviously have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you're you're not going to see uh, people like that um, often and in the like, oh, it was my grandfather, you know, the two generations ago, you're not going to see like human beings like turning into a completely separate species. Right. And I, I understand that those mutations were caused by cosmic rays uh, shooting through the cheap glass that the domes were made out of. Right. This I, w- is, I would think that would cause more uh, mortality than, say, mutations. Yeah, this but, is uh, why your Marvel movies um, like are like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man, um, mm, uh, genetics changed instead mm-hmm. of... Uh, you know, there. So now he has. He looks similar, but he has the properties of a spider. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's although, not. Although he didn't there, turn into a spider. There is a very large class of Marvel superheroes that are radiation based, essentially. I mean, In classic you know, origin story, that, they've changed some of those as they the, go. The fact that it, they came about during the atomic age, essentially. You know, radiation was the big boogeyman of the times. So. Yeah. So, what other science-y things are you want to talk about before we move on? I. It's not necessarily a science thing, but I did note the uh, there something that I think the Matrix might have picked up on. Uh, the, of course, there's a whole uh, memory implantation part of this uh, plot, and that's one of the big technologies that uh, that they display during this movie. Uh, the leader, the the head scientist of the Recall Foundation comes to Arnold Schwarzenegger on Mars trying to convince him that he's having a delusion from being at recall 
And then he asks them, it's, it's interesting, he asks him to take a red pill to symbolize his willingness to return to reality. And oh, I yeah. was just thinking, oh man, that is... That That's is, where they got the, for the Matrix. That is Morpheus asking, uh, uh, you know, Neo to choose between the blue and the red pill. I don't remember what was what, but... Was the blue it? pill was the one that wanted to stay in the Matrix. Right, and so therefore, in that case too, the red pill was symbolized a willingness to return to reality because mm-hmm. the reality of the world there is not the Matrix, it's the horrible you know blasted future lands of of the earth right so so i don't know i noticed that huh interesting with that i think it's time for us to get on to the verdict and now is the point of the podcast where we decide the fate of this movie sacred which is bovinus sanctorum or Do we put it out to pasture, which is... Bovinus excommunicado. Great work, Pete. So why don't you start with your opinion? All right, well, this was a little bit tough because obviously Total Recall, I guess you kind of remember it as an iconic action film from the early 90s or late 80s. I really thought it was an 80s film. It feels like an 80s film. It feels like an 80s film. 1990 was still very much the 80s. Uh, it, it's a good, it's a good passable, goofy action movie. It asks you to ignore some very basic facts about science, which is fine because it's science fiction. But uh, the biggest problem I was probably having was that I wasn't exactly sure what this movie wanted to be. At times, it was a goofy, campy, fun little romp through Action City, but coupled with some really out-of-place ultraviolence that was kind of disturbing and a lot of swearing. So so then was it trying to be a, a violent action film? If so, then there was a lot of kind of out-of-place uh, humor inserted in, and it just kind of, I don't know, it felt like it didn't, it didn't know what it wanted to be. So there's a lot wrong with this movie, but it is fun. I think that this kind of science fiction movie is maybe seen its day in the sun, and this this sort of thing really doesn't fly anymore. I have a nostalgia value that I have uh, placed on this movie, and if it were not for that, I don't think it would have been all that enjoyable to watch. So, does it hold up? I kind of feel like it doesn't. You know, our our good memories about this movie are kind of just that's just where they exist is in our memories it it doesn't hold up to the modern era um you know it it's got to be bovinus excommunicado i think all right well um my thoughts on the subject are kind of in in line with that i i i found myself smiling while i was watching the movie strangely um but it wasn't like um it was it was i was enjoying the experience but again it it definitely felt like it was because of the nostalgia like oh i remember that oh i remember that um there was some of the quaid stuff i I enjoyed the the acting that schwarzenegger did but to me it was like well this is either this is somewhat ham-fisted um they're trying to get some big ideas out there um but it's just not as well put together and you're right the violence is over the top but i kind of give that a pass to it's a paul verhoeven movie i mean look at robocop am i right for sure yeah but um I am also leaning towards Bovinus Excommunicado. You know, it's not it's not a, a sacred movie anymore, and uh, that's really all I have to say. I, would I watch it again? No, I probably wouldn't. I mean, it is it is beautiful as far as like um, composition and stuff, uh, but no, I'm probably not gonna like watch it again. It's I'm not with- it's not Terminator Two. 
No, it certainly is. It, it is an enjoyable action movie, but, you know, that's about as far as it goes. It was worth the three out of five stars I gave it on Netflix, but now, <laughs> but now I'm going to delete it and probably not watch it again. All right, so there's the final verdict, folks. Bovinus excommunicado. Not a sacred cow any longer. And so if you're keeping score, we've watched, we've watched one movie that is definitely sacred and one movie that is definitely not. We agree on this. And now it's time for our final thoughts and wrap-up. So, uh, Mike, did you ever see the 2012 version of this movie with Colin Farrell? Uh, no, I didn't, but I understand that Brian Cranston played Cohagen in it. He was in it, yep, yep. But that couldn't save it. Uh, I don't recall a whole lot about the movie. It was largely a forgettable little totally different plot Uh your typical gritty, futuristic, you know, movie. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just I just heard that it was not good, so I stayed Something away. Something about an elevator that goes from one side of the Earth to the other, but that's the only thing I remember. So, yeah, it's not even on Mars. It's a different story, essentially. Hmm. Well, eh. Yeah, that's, that's my feelings on the movie. So. <laughs> well, if you want to... Give us some feedback. Uh, we really do need your feedback. Uh, if this is your first time listening, then uh, you don't know. But the next episode is just going to be a general conversation. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, this movie based on the questions that you sent in or any movie we reviewed previously or if you want to compare it to other movies. Um, we also want you to send us your ideas for what movies that we want to review in the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll consider everything, you know, give us your reasons, give us things to talk about. That's what the next episode is all about. What do you want to talk about? That's right. Tell us your thoughts, any thoughts about anything, and we would love to hear them. Yeah, and we can't guarantee we're going to get to all of them at once. Um, you know, we've already seen a fair bit of feedback, so we'll just get to things as they seem natural. Sounds good. Um... And if you want to, uh, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. I mean, you can tear us down in that written review. Just tell us how bad we are. and uh, Give us a five-star for ironic value. Yes, it would be perfect. You can talk to us at Sacred Cows Pod on Twitter. That's at Sacred Cows Pod. Otherwise, you can reach us by email at sacredcows at herooftheweb.com. That's sacredcows.com at herooftheweb.com and use any of these points for suggestions, discussion, whatever you want. You know, tell us how you feel. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. So, Pete, any idea, you know, what movie we should talk about next time we do the full review episode? You know what I'm just remembering? Last time on the Spaceballs episode, we said we were going to do Star Wars this time, and we didn't do that. So, what well, do you think? Maybe a do-over next time? Maybe, uh... Yeah, we'll can... Sure, let's do Star Wars next time. Sounds good, sounds good. I've been looking forward to watching that film ever since I've been seeing all this new footage from the upcoming movies. It looks good, it looks good. Yeah, for so, sure. join us next time. This is Mike and Pete signing off.